And so we'll be looking at this topic of sex. And so if you don't want your child to be in here, uh, you need to go with Miss Bonnie in the back. All right. If I'm honest, I want to walk out with those children. I'll just be honest with you. This is this is just one of those topics that I'm not looking forward to preaching. It's 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 embarrassing. It's yep. It, I would much rather just talk about the salvation and the grace of Christ that's been given to us. But I have a choice as your pastor. You know, when we when you kind of teach through a book of the Bible, you're not allowed to skip what the Bible teaches. And the Bible has an awful lot to say about sex, and so does our culture. And so we either can address it from a biblical point of view and understand what the scriptures say about this, or we can continue to let the culture drive us and, and teach us what we believe about it, and we'll continue to see families destroyed over it. And so I would rather just do what the Bible says, and as your pastor, um, you just bear with me, and we'll get through it together, okay? Proverbs chapter 5, I want to read... Start reading in verse 15 and read down through verse 23. Proverbs chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. You guys stand with me because what we're reading, even though it's about sex, it God's, is God's holy, inerrant, inspired, infallible, and good word to us today. Verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well, should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the street. Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Some of you just highlighted your Bible for the first time. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I, oh, I so need you this morning. Father, I pray that you would take your word, which you have graciously given to us, and Lord, I pray that you would use it in our hearts and in our minds. Now, Father, help us to be more like Jesus as a result of your word to us today. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. You guys go ahead and be seated. You ever have certain events that, that they happen in your life and you just kind of never forget them? One such event happened when I was in my first pastor. There was a young man, he was probably 15 at the time, by the name of Randy Barnhill. You remember Randy, Lynn? You don't remember Randy, cowboy hat? Randy, we were in my office one day, and we were I was talking with him about the importance of having a daily time with the Lord where he spent time with the Lord. And I said, Randy, here, here's really what I, what I do sometimes in my own life. I've done it on many occasions. I said, Randy, if you really want to develop a time with the Lord, I said, one of the easiest things you could do is just read the book of Proverbs. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. There's always 30, 31 days in the, in, in the month. And so read the proverb that corresponds with the day. I said, in fact, Randy, we could just start right now. 
I said, here's, here's a copy of the message. Y'all know what I'm talking about when I talk about the message? I mean, it's, it's a paraphrase, and so it uses a lot of modern language. I said, Randy, today's the fifth day of the month. Here's the message. Read Proverbs chapter 5 for me. It completely missed my, my thinking that Proverbs 5 just deals a whole lot with sex. And so Randy sat right in front of his preacher, and for the next 10 minutes, began was reading Proverbs chapter 5. And I didn't even know what he was reading. And then when he got finished, honest to goodness, here's what he said. I like this Bible. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever forget it as long as I live. Okay? But the Bible deals an awful lot in, in this topic about sex. You know, we've studied friendships, we've studied family, we've studied finances, we've studied parenting, humility, and and now we come to this topic, and it's not just Proverbs 5, it's Proverbs 30, Proverbs 11, and there, there are several Proverbs that deals with this idea of sex. And you guys will agree with me. Don't y'all think Satan, that has used sex to destroy families and individuals all across our nation, all across our world, so even if today you find yourself and you're not dealing with, with any type of sexual sin, I guarantee you there's people around you that are maybe children or grandparents or friends or neighbors that you're struggling with. We're going to record this message. It'll be on our website by the end of today or tomorrow. You can help point people to that. I can even give you a copy of my manuscript if it would be, if it would be helpful for you uh, in, in helping others who are dealing with this topic. And so Proverbs 5, it's a, it's a manual on how we deal with and we think about the sexual relationship. It's a, it's a letter from a father to a son. You see it in verse 5, uh, verse 1. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. It's, it's written from Solomon. And Solomon, his downfall was his promiscuity with other women. And so he knows a thing or two about, uh, about this sexual relationship. And so Solomon is writing to his son, and some of the best people you'll ever learn from are those who know what they're talking about, those who have made some of the mistakes that they've made in their life. And so I entitled this message, Veiled Deception, because that's what's going on here in our culture. And in fact, that's what Proverbs chapter 5, that's what Solomon begins by saying to his son. Notice verse 2. Keep your discretion and, and, and your lips may guard knowledge, for the lips of a forbidden woman, although it drips honey... Now, if you see a woman, she's got honey coming down her face. That's not the woman that we're attracted to. But it's speaking of that it's a woman that is appealing. Her speech is smooth, but in the end, it's bitter. In the end, her, her ways lead down to death. And so it looks good in the beginning, but Solomon said there's something that is deceptive about this. And so we that's what's happened in our culture. It's a veiled deception, this idea of sex. And I want to show you two ways that that sex deceives us in our culture. Here's way number one. We're deceived when we say that sex is only a physical act. Y'all heard, heard that before, right? Sex is only a physical act. For many people, that's how we view this sexual relationship. We treat it like food. We hunger, we're hungry, so we eat. In sex, we've got a sexual desire, and so we fulfill it, okay? It's nothing more than a desire to be fulfilled. And when you believe this, here's what's happening. You've taken a good gift from God, and we'll talk about this in just a minute. It's a good gift from God, and you have undervalued this good gift to us. It's something that He gives us, and instead of you celebrating it for what, for what it truly is, 
you've made it less than what God has desired it to be in your life. And so you undervalue it. You greatly diminish it. And so if you're if you fall into this category, or you know people who fall into this category, you pe- you think people like myself, you think people like Tim Tebow, you think we're crazy because we think the the godly thing for you to do is to save yourself for marriage. It's it's something that's greater than a physical act. Uh, some time ago, Andy Stanley, Charles Stanley's son, he was teaching on this topic, and he got to this idea of sex only being a physical act, and he said, if you believe this, then I have a series of questions for you. So here's, here's what Andy Stanley asked. If sex is just physical, why is rape so much more harmful to a woman than simply being beat up? If it's just a physical act, then why is it so much more difficult to get over that? If sex is only physical, then why is it when a child is sexually abused and, and then they get older and they can connect all the dots, it's so much more difficult for them to shake off? It's just physical. It's just physical. Why is adultery so devastating in a relationship? Why is it that, that men with the deepest sexual issues often have uninvolved or missing fathers? Why is it that uh, the most people with the greatest regrets usually are sexually regretful. Everything we see, everything we read about the sexual relationship, it screams that it's so much more than just a physical act. Something greater than that is going on. One more piece of evidence. In my research this week, I was reading a guy, um, and he quoted a book called Hooked. It's not a Christian book. It's It's really a scientific study, so it's not pastor's. These are scientists that are saying this, and, and in fact, they're neurologists, and, and they, they were studying, what does your brain grow, go through when, when you have multiple sexual partners in your life? How, what does it do to your brain? And they said it actually rewires your brain, and that it makes genuine, lasting relationships much more difficult. And here's what they say, and I quote, The individual who goes from sex partner to sex partner is causing his or her brain to mold in such a way that eventually accepts that sexual pattern as normal. The pattern of changing sex partners therefore therefore damages their ability to bond in a committed relationship. The kind of attachment damage caused by repeated sexual encounters is in many respects more devastating than pregnancy, unwanted pregnancy, or sexually transmitted diseases. Repeated sexual encounters hinder our abilities to form lifelong, satisfying relationships. They said you could no more try out the sexual relationship than you can just kind of try out birth. It's going to happen. That's what it does in your brain. Now, reality, what is it? It's not just a physical act. It's It's not just an act of procreation. Matt Chandler describes a sexual relationship as the mingling of souls. In the sexual relationship, one person loses themselves in another as they become one. Two separate and distinct people become mysteriously one. In my studies this week, I never, I never even thought about this before, but in my studies this week, one person said, Human, humans are the only ones who procreate facing one another. There, there's something that is, that is deeply intimate about them. It happens in the context of a man and woman in the covenant of marriage. Now, in verse 15, it speaks of the 
uh, of the female sexuality. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water out of your own well, things you go down into. Uh, verse 16, it speaks of the male sexuality. Don't let your springs be scattered abroad. And if you don't get that, ask your mom and dad or see me later, and, and we'll explain that privately. Verse 17, let them be uh, for you alone and not for strangers with you. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing to you. Rejoice in the wife of your, your youth. She's like a loving deer, a graceful doe. Now, men, don't call your wife that, okay? Don't say, you're, honey, you look like a graceful doe this morning. But let her breath satisfy you at all times. And my son, be captivated by your love, by her love. You see, in the covenant of marriage, Sex is a wonderful thing. It's a great thing. It's to be enjoyed. It's to be exciting. It's to be exhilarating. It's to be an act of worship. But only in that. It, it, it's, it's kind of like, I've used this analogy before, maybe, and maybe you'll remember it. It's kind of like fire. Fire's a very good thing in its proper context, right? In fire, you can heat your house. You can cook food. You can, you can re- give off light. But if you take fire out of its context, it's very destructive, right? It, it'll burn your house down. It, it'll bring death. It'll bring destruction. And the same thing is true in, in the idea of the sexual relationship. If you take it out of its proper context, anything other than a man or, or a man and woman in the covenant of marriage is going to bring destruction. Here's the most common objection. A preacher... I'm dating this this girl, and I really love her, and I plan on marrying her. So we're just going to go ahead and enjoy the benefits of marriage before we're actually married. Here's the only problem. You and I both know people in that context, they get out of that relationship anytime they want. If, if, if that person wakes up tomorrow and says, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore, you know what they do? They check out. They ain't got to go to lawyer. They ain't got to see an attorney. They ain't got to do anything like that. It just didn't happen that way. In marriage, you become one with somebody else. Not just physically, you become one in your finances, you become one in your family, your futures are one. And then when you engage in sex before marriage, you're saying, I don't really want all of you, I just want your body right now. And that's the start. C.S. Lewis, he had a, a great analogy for this. He says the young man who wants to have sex with a girl without marrying her feels about that girl the way the bulimic feels about food. The bulimic loves the taste of food. It brings pleasure. It brings comfort. But she doesn't want to carry around the calories and the fat of the food in her body, so she tastes it and then gets rid of it. That's what the guy is doing. I, I love the taste of you, but I don't want all of you yet, so we'll have sex, but I won't fully unite myself with you. It's greatly undervalued. Excuse me. Greatly diminishing this great gift that God has given us. And honestly... I don't even have time to dive into pornography. And the, the dangers, the abuses that happen there. Pornography brings in more revenue. I, I heard it this week. I was listening to an episode by Dave Ramsey on a podcast, and it's completely outside of the context of, of my sermon preparation. Dave Ramsey said, pornography, internet pornography brings in more money than every major sport plus NASCAR combined brings destruction on marriages. You know, it used to be that pornography was just an issue that men dealt with. 
but the averages are evening out now. Just as many women dealing with pornography than men, as men. The movie, the, the Fifty Shades of Grey series, those were, those were women things. More women were excited about going to see Fifty Shades of Grey than men were. Evening out. Here's my thing. I've never, I've, to my knowledge, I've never met a follower of Christ that struggled with pornography and was proud of it. Never have. Every follower of Christ I've ever met who struggled with pornography didn't want to. And and so here's why I say that. I'm not here to beat anybody up. If you're here this morning and and you're struggling in this area, I'm not here to beat you up so that you walk out the door and you feel like a jerk. I'm here to encourage you that in Christ, you can have victory. In Christ, you can be forgiven. In Christ, the best days in your life are yet to come. And so I began to think this week. I've shared this publicly before because I don't think many of you will be surprised by this. I watched, I have a, when I was five years old, I, I had a brother who was six years older than I am, David. And we lived with our dad. Our parents, my mom checked out when she was three. Um, and although I still love my mom, mom, if you ever listen to this, I love you. Um, and, and so I still love my mom. But we were raised with my dad. And Playboy magazine was everywhere in my house. Um, the VCR pornographic tapes were every, everywhere uh, in my dad's home. And so when I had an 11-year-old brother, when I was five years old, I, I watched my first pornographic film. And, and I struggled with it my entire life. Even when I became a follower of Christ, pornography was a, a huge deal in my life. And so when I say that, that I've struggled with it, I want you to know that I, I greatly have struggled with it. And so I began to think, Lord, as you have delivered me from that, and it, it's been, I, I don't know how long it's been, it, it's been greater than 10 years. Since I, I've struggled with that, I hadn't thought about it off the top of my head. What were some of the things that you did in my own life that I might share with somebody else that might would give them freedom? And so I began to think about that. Number one, and here's here's what I thought of: Am I going to get rid of get rid of that in my own life? I'm going to guard my heart and my eyes. I memorized Job 31:1. Lord, I'm I making a covenant with my eyes not to look on anything lustfully after a young lady. And so I began to to guard my eyes. Because the eyes are the gateway into the soul, and so I don't even want to look on that. Uh, Leanne, and I, Leanne mentioned it in Sunday school. I, I don't watch rated R movies. It, it's not because I, I think I'm more like Christ, but some of the nudity in those, I, I'm, I'm guarding the gateway into my soul. I don't want to look on those things. The, the, the Fast and the Furious, it's PG-13, but I don't look at it because, they're, because of the raunchiness of, the, of the, way, the way the lady's dressing is. Now, if you've watched that, I'm not trying to condemn you, but I'm just saying I've got to guard my own heart. I've got to guard my own my own self, and so I just don't look on those things, okay? So I guard my heart and my mind in my eyes. Number two, I found I find accountability. And so when I was in college and Leanne and I were in were dating, I had three roommates. We met together every week and we began asking each other accountability questions. Hey, had you done this? Had you done that? Have you have you struggled this week? And so we we ask each other accountability questions, and you greatly need that in your life. When Leanne and I were dating, we made a decision that we were not going to be left alone in the room together, like, or not in the room, but in the house together. Well, why is that? You don't fall morally when there's other people watching. You just don't, right? And so we just made a decision that this is, this is something we're not going to do. 
uh, Mike Pence was in the news recently because he didn't. He says he doesn't go out to eat with other ladies. To the best of my ability, that's my rule as well. I mean, uh, just being honest, my family is more important than anything else in my world. Okay, and so why would I put myself in a situation with another with another female that would be a compromising situation? You say, well, you don't trust other ladies. Heaven's sake, I don't trust myself. I mean, I'm just being honest to goodness. I don't trust myself. It has nothing to do with how the other person is. I just don't trust myself. And so accountability in that. Number three, get out of Dodge. The Bible says that when you're facing sexual immorality, get out. It's the only time in the scriptures that God says to run. It's so dangerous. It says don't stand there and fight it. Get out. Do whatever you have to do to get out. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. There's always a way of escape with that. Number four. Excuse me. Consider the consequences. You could lose your family. Devastate your spouse. Your spouse, your future spouse, Never live up to the image of Jesus Christ. Never will. I, I say this with a broken heart. And, and, and my wife is sitting right here on stage uh, on first, first row. You don't get rid of the image of yourself in this world. You just don't. I mean, those, those images stay ingrained in your mind. Consider the damage, the consequences if you do that. So you see, God's given us this good gift. It's greatly undervalued. That's just a physical fact. Number two, we won't spend as much time here. Secondly, we are deceived when we say that sex and beauty, that they're they're ultimate, they're everything. So in other words, we move from a standpoint where we greatly undervalue the sexual relationship to now, we, we, we greatly overvalue it. We've got to have it for everything. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 22, it's going to be on the screen. It'll be the only time I've ever, I think I ever talk about a pig in this context. It says, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion or character. So it's like you've got this gold ring, and and, and you're looking at this ring. Man, I've got to have this ring. I've got to have this ring. I've got to have this ring. So you reach and you grab it. And the only thing is, it's attached to a hog. And so for many of you, you you wanted the best-looking wife or you wanted the richest husband, and so you grasp the, the ring, and you go to bed with a hog every night just because you wanted what you thought was beautiful. You say, well, who in the world would ever do that? The person who thinks sex and beauty are everything. It's the husband that says, man, look at my wife. She's awesome. She's really good looking. And because she's so good looking, I'm going to look overlook her temper. I'm going to overlook the fact that she lies. I'm going to overlook the fact that she treats me and others like we're beneath her. It's the wife who says, man, look at my husband. Man, he's rich. He's handsome. He's got it all together. Because he's got all of that, I'm going to overlook the fact that he's abusive and that he abuses me with his words. I'm going to overlook the fact that he's constantly constantly looking at other women and never around for me and my kids. You would rather have the gold ring even though it comes attached to hog-like stuff. J.D. Greer, he says many of us are willing to attach ourselves to that gold ring because we feel like beauty is the only thing that matters in life. You don't have beauty. Man, then I'm worthless. Right? 
Proverbs 31. How many of you have read Proverbs 31 and, you know, the virtuous wife, the godly wife? Have you have y'all heard that before? You know, the only time that you find beauty in Proverbs 31 is it says that beauty is fleeting. It's fading away. And here's a good statement that's not on the screen, but it's worth writing down. Character is always greater. Beauty is good. Character is much better. Find the, find the person who has high character. Here's a fun fact. Eating disorders three to five times higher among industrialized nations than among non-industrialized nations. Eating disorders two times higher among college students within those nations. Tim Keller says that this means that the closer you get to the heart of Western civilization, the more women are bombarded with the message that all that matters about you is your looks and your character does not matter. You, you know you know, one of the highest reasons that women get depressed when they get older? Because they made beauty their number one thing in life. And so what happens when you get older? Well, beauty is fleeting. Proverbs 31 says it's fading away. And when you don't have that thing that you've attached yourself to your entire life, depression sets in. One more scenario. Think about this way from a, from a man's standpoint. Think about the man in his 40s and 50s, and I bet everybody can think about a man in this context. He'll sacrifice his wife and his kids for a lady that has passed away. I guarantee you most of you could think about somebody that has done that. He's sad. He thinks he'll be, he'll be happier if he has a younger wife and he's willing to take the gold ring even though it's not worth it. I read two different things, two different different men this week. And they, they they just sat down and they made a list. If I commit adultery on my wife, what's going to happen? And so I sat down this week. I'll try to get through this without crying. And made a list of what would happen if I were to cheat on my wife. Here's what I, here's what I wrote. I would hurt Leanne in ways that I cannot imagine. I would lose her respect, I would lose her trust, and I would very likely lose her I would bring confusion and hurt to every one of my children. I would have to explain to them the hurt that I have caused their mother, and I would likely have to live apart from them. My relationship with them would never be the same simply for a cheap trick. I would hurt you, my church. I would lose every bit of credibility with you as your pastor, and I would have no reputation with you at all. I would lose any influence I had with my family and friends who do not know Jesus, and I would become another obstacle that they must overcome in order to know Jesus as their Savior. Finally, I would bring shame to the name of my Savior. And one day I would have to look him in the eyes and let him know why I would have to go and find something else after all the beauty he had poured in in my life. At the end of the day, guys, simply not worth it. Now at this point, I know there's some of you in this room, you're feeling overwhelmed. Maybe you've made those mistakes. Maybe you feel trapped right now. 
Can I remind you that there's not a single person in this room that's ever approached the throne of prayer your heart? None of us. Every single one of us bring our filthy rags before the Lord, and He clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. I want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to me very carefully. The blood of Jesus can make you purer than you ever were. The resurrection of Jesus can make your soul more whole and alive and healthy than you ever were before you fell. Sin may defile you and stain your soul, but remember the hymn, Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus was butchered and he was killed so that his blood could wash away the deepest sin, and God resurrected him the following, three days later, showing you that he could put any broken thing off the Where does it Lord, forgive me. Father, I've screwed up. I've messed up. But I believe that Jesus is Jesus' name, I thank you for your word. Lord, I want to lift up those right now under the sound of my voice. God, some struggle with sexual sin. Some have greatly diminished this wonderful gift that you have given to us. Lord, others of us, we, we, we greatly overvalue it. We think that we're not, never be satisfied in life if we don't have it. Lord, today, would you meet your people right now? Father, I ask you in Jesus' name, Father, you would grant victory today. Lord, I pray that, as, as Johnny Hunt would say, Lord, the, the strongholds in our lives would be broken. Lord, we would walk in victory in Christ. Lord, today, I pray for your protection on our families, on our marriages. Lord, I even pray for every child that is next door. I pray for uh, for every teenager that's in this room, Lord, that, Father, that they would have victory in Christ. Lord, I pray that every one of them would know Jesus from an early age and walk faithfully. Lord, would you come protect them? Lord, I pray for this invitation. Lord, I pray that you would move move in a mighty and powerful way. In Jesus' name I pray. Yes, go ahead and stand with you. As you're standing, here's your invitation. If I could pray for you, I'd love to pray for you probably embarrassing for you right? if you get get up and walk down the aisle everybody's going to be thinking, well look at there you know pride goes before the fall don't sit in your pew in your pride when victory could be at the altar okay maybe you're here this morning you, you're fighting your, your sexual battles you're fighting them 
in your own power because you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You can't, you can't win this victory in your own power. You've got to have Christ in your heart and your life. If you never surrendered your life to Jesus, the greatest decision you make is not to say, I'm going to find an accountability partner. The greatest decision you'll ever make is to place your hope in your trust in Jesus. However the Father is moving in your own heart and your own mind today, you respond in obedience. You sing with the angels.